Pastor John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. job all God's people said amen that's beautiful beautiful singing thank you ladies wonderful job praise team band thank you guys very much for uh, for great worship this morning good to see you all here today and uh, have you enjoyed your time at victory already it's been a wonderful spirit in here today and so I certainly thank the Lord for that and uh, once again we do want to thank all of our our veterans all those that served again, why don't you stand up? You're, you're worthy of one more applause. All of our veterans, thank you so much. We certainly appreciate you. God bless you. Amen. You can be seated. Before I get started too much further in what I want to share with you today, I do want to make a couple of quick announcements. First of all, we are serving our Air Force Fire Department uh, this Wednesday evening over at Scott Air Force Base. We're providing for them a Thanksgiving meal. Uh, and there are still a few uh, side items that could be um, contributed and, and given to, uh, to take over there. So if you'd like some of our ladies, there are some of our men that cook, you don't want me to provide a side item. You'll get cinnamon Pop-Tarts that are burnt, okay? That's what you'll get if I make it. But some of you ladies that could whip up a dish, or maybe some of you guys, if you cook, there are a few more side items that need to be made and, and taken over there. So I guess the best thing to do is contact uh, maybe Linda, see, see Daryl. Daryl and Linda immediately after the service, uh, if you'd like to help out with that, uh, Troy and Andrea aren't here today, so, so see them, and that's this Wednesday evening, uh, so remember that. Also, on the table in the back, uh, one, of our, one of our strongest outreaches of last year was the free gift wrapping that we offered at the St. Clair Mall all Christmas season. Well, we're doing that again. This time we're doing it bigger and better. Uh, we have a far greater location this year. Uh, we're right at the main entrance. When you come in the main entrance of the mall, there at the, uh, where it used to be J. Buck's Restaurant. I forget what's there now. Uh, but you come in there and you walk all the way through back to like you're going to J.C. Penney around back where the escalators are. And, that opening right now, there's some gumball machines. I've already went there and checked it out. There's some gumball machines that are there right now. That's where we're going to be. Matter of fact, look over the balcony and down there's Santa Claus. So we're going to be right up above Santa Claus offering free gift wrapping. We'd love for you to participate and help in that. Uh, we're going to do it all the way through the Christmas season, even Christmas Eve. Uh, we're going to be out there doing uh, free gift wrapping. And some folks last year questioned our Christmas Eve time, but I tell you, I think that time slot had more impact than any other time slot that we did simply because people could not believe that we, get this now, the Christians were out on Christmas Eve serving those that weren't in some candlelight service or something on Christmas Eve. So anyway, I thought that was pretty awesome that here the church is now outside the four walls of the church on Christmas Eve. So we need some help there, uh, and I think we go to like 6 o'clock Christmas Eve. Uh, but anyhow, anytime you would like to, to sign up to serve or taking two-hour shifts, uh, please go to the back table and start signing up. Uh, I know that you get, you get maybe a 15-minute time slot to sign up there. Probably the best thing to do is for you, if you can't hit that time slot, email the church office. Let's run everything 
thing through the church office, and that way we can help manage everything. Shoot us an email. We'll get the time slots out to you. You can sign up that way. That way you can do it all week long. Uh, but if you get an opportunity, stop by that table and sign up there. And uh, if you can't, email the church office, and, and let's, uh, let's get involved there. Let me share with you real quickly. Uh, this is a thank you card that we received from the Fulcher family. If you remember last week, we were serving them and um, their, uh, their son passed away. And let me read this card to you. It says, thank you so much for the support you showed our family during this difficult time. It was greatly appreciated. And please accept this offering towards the building of your new church. God bless you all. Roz, Kevin, Emily, and Jesse uh, Fulcher. Then it says, please tell Donetta thank you for organizing our Saturday meal uh, for Kevin's viewing and to everyone who provided food. So that's a thank you card from the Fulcher family. So thank you so much for those that served and gave. Also, um, from the Fulcher family, they wrote a $200 check that goes straight to our tabernacle offering uh, for our building fund. Uh, so uh, thank God for that and thank God for that family and continue to lift them up. Uh, up in prayer as they learn now a new way of living without their their son and that can be very difficult okay so pray for them all right does everyone have a what how many pages is it a 19 page document these are the sermon notes for today <laughs> actually it's far more than that if you do not have them raise your hands our ushers will be getting those out to you guys I think Charlie needs some help guys uh, raise your hand. Keep it held up really high. There are enough for everyone to have their own individual copy. You do not have to share. Matter of fact, I hope and pray you do not share. You need a copy of this in your hand. So if, you're not, if you are not physically holding one, hold your hand up. You need one of these today, okay? We've got plenty. We'll run off plenty more if we need, uh, but it's imperative that you have this uh, simply because this is going to help answer some of the questions that you may have as we progress with the vision and the direction of our church, okay? So we've got plenty. Hold your hands up. Get everybody, make sure everybody has one. Matter of fact, I want to encourage you to take this. Now, I'm not going to be able to unpack everything in here today. Today is going to be the panoramic view. Actually, today I'm going to lay some foundational principles on why we are going this direction and what's taking place uh, with our ministry plan form the future development of our church. So I want you to bring this back with you because today during our worship service time, I, you know what guys, this isn't the best time to do this on Sunday morning worship. I realize that. Uh, if we had a Wednesday evening service, that's probably when I would put it in there and do it. But this is our setup. It's the only shot I have to, for us all to get together. So I wanted to introduce it today. Uh, the next three Sundays during our Bible study time at 930, all of the adult classes uh, will be meeting in here in, in, the, in the gym, and we will be unpacking this further the next three Sundays, okay? So I'm going to wet your palate today. I'm going I'm to move your cheese. How many ever read that book, Who Moved My Cheese? Wonderful book. I'm going to move your cheese today, and uh, hopefully you'll be able to find the cheese by the end of our three- or four-week period. Uh, but anyhow, I want to share this with you. Before I get into that... Um, we, we did get some trees removed and some dirt moved around a little bit on Friday. I was talking with Daryl about that. Let me give you a heads up on what, what that's, what's taking place. They're in there getting soil samples that they need in order to give 
for approval of the grading, constructional grading and things of that nature. So that was the primary purpose of them being in there. Uh, still, before we can get around and move a lot of dirt, uh, we've got to wait for a permit from the city that's being submitted and, and it'll take uh, maybe a couple weeks to take place. So don't get discouraged next week if you ride by there and you don't see anything happening. Things are happening, but there's a tremendous amount of work that has to take place behind the scenes and Daryl is heading that up and uh, taking care of that, okay? But it was exciting, I must tell you, to go out there this past Friday and, uh, and see some dirt being moved around and see some trees being taken down. And, and you know what? That was on my birthday. W- wasn't that pretty cool? On, uh, on my birthday, we had the first tree falling out there, so I thought that was uh, pretty awesome. Also, the other thing I want to share with you is that I am going to be posting a video documentary of our entire process. I've already put two videos out there. I'm working on the whole uh, thing to make them a little bit better, but we're going to do it from now all the way to our building dedication Sunday, our first Sunday in there, and then our afternoon building dedication. Uh, we're going to have video with that, and so so be help, help me spread the word and tag and send that video out to a lot of different people, and, and uh, we'll have people really all over the nation that are viewing and checking in on that thing, sending me response, how they feel like they're here, although they're hundreds of miles away. Uh, they're praying for us and they feel like they're here. So that's a good way for you to kind of stay connected on what's taking place on our property through our whole building process. Now, real quickly, as this is Vision Sunday, I'm going to be sharing with you our five-year ministry vision. Real quickly, I want to show you once again the physical side of it that we've already unpacked and shared with you. Now, we'll put these in the back uh, or just be up here after the service if you want to come and look at them. But here is our church property. There's 20.7 acres uh, that are here. And there's three phases of development that's going to be taking place. Phase number one is what we're doing right here, which is our 8,000 square foot building that we're in the process of, of starting right now. When you drive by the church property, that billboard that you see out there, Jack Schmidt's billboard, it's about right here, okay? Somewhere right in here is where that billboard is to give you an idea of how the property lays, okay? Here's Scott Troy Road. You see we're kind of narrow at the front and then it fans out in the back. But this is our development of what we're going to be building, the three phases uh, that we will be building. What I'm going to show you here, actually, uh, I do not have a big easel drawing of what we're building now simply because it's already kind of taking place and going and these are what we're going to have in the foyer of the new church to see what our next phase of development is going to be. But right here is, is phase two and phase three. Phase two is going to be a gymnasium. Phase three will be the sanctuary and the auditorium. And uh, that will give you an idea of what we're going to. The first step is a baby bite. Now, this is a huge elephant, right? And how do you eat an elephant? You know this by now. One bite at a time, right? So this right here is our first small little bot just getting on the property and starting our ministry. Uh, matter of fact, the last several days I've been by there and I stop on the property and walk around and shoot some of those videos. You would think someone put a yield sign right in front of our property on Scott Troy Road from both directions because people almost come to a screeching halt and they're looking over there to see what in the world's going on on that property. That is one of the main reasons we want to get on that property and start our ministry so we can get out of this school setting, this setup and tear down, get focused more on ministry, and hopefully and prayerfully we have a lot of drive-by traffic and, uh, and then those individuals come and be a part of our, our church family. So anyway, that's phase one. Phase two and phase three is right here. Um, I forget what this one is. Let me see real quick. Oh, this one kind of shows you the plan 
of what phase two and phase three are as far as the building uh, gives you an idea of the floor plan with, uh, with the gymnasium, the educational wing, two-story, and our, our worship facility there, okay? Now, what I want to share with you today is the ministry side of all of this, all right? What you have before you here is the physical side of it, the building aspect of it. Matter of fact, whenever we're going through City Hall, City of O'Fallon, and presenting our master plan to them, the next question or the question they would ask me often after we build phase one, when are we going to move into building phase two? When is that going to happen? And the answer that I would keep giving them was three to five years. Now, that's a stretch for me. I wanted to say in about 12 months, okay? But uh, that's not going to happen. But uh, three to five years. And, and I guess the reason I settled into that number, and I'm probably leaning more to, towards the five, unless there's just something amazing takes place that, that God has in store for us that I don't know. I guess the reason I'm leaning towards that is because it's going to take some time to grow the ministry side of what we're trying to do along with the building side. So think of it like a, a, a train track, if you will. And you have two tracks, two rails running parallel beside each other. I want you to think of one track as the physical building track, the, uh, the, the master plan for the physical building, the property. I want you to think of the other track as the ministry side of it. You, you got to have both. There's not enough just to build a building and then show up and scratch our heads and say, okay, now what we do? We kind of just wait for something to happen. You've got to have a plan and a vision on the ministry side of it as well. So we have two tracks that are running here. We have the physical, which is our property, our brick and our mortar, and then we also have the ministry side of it, which is what I have put in your hands this morning, okay? Now there's, a far, there's far more. I, I probably could have written a hundred page document for you as we stop and unpack all the details that are in here. But I'm going to spare you from all that reading. This is just a, a laundry list, a bullet list, if you will, to get us started on part of the ministry side of what we're trying to do. Open up your Bibles, if you will, to Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29 and verse number 18. I'm going to read in the King James Version because I like that version the best at looking at this particular verse. And you probably know it by heart. It's one of those verses that you've memorized maybe as a child. But the scripture says, where there is no vision, what? The people perish. Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Now in the Holman Christian Standard Version of the Bible that I like to use, it says that verse this way. It says, where there is no revelation people run wild. In other words, there must be some direction given to a group of people or those people are going to perish or those people are going to run wild. In other words, there's got to be some order brought to something. There's a reason that we do something. Now, I like to, I like to do things for a reason. I get very discouraged, I get very down and out when, when I'm that mouse on the wheel and I'm running, I'm running, I'm running, I'm looking around, I've gone nowhere and I'm thinking, why in the world am I running? You know, why are we even doing this? I want us to be strategic in everything that we do. But at the same time, I want us to be biblical in what we do. I preached a little sermonette 
to the to the worship choir team practice this past um, uh, Thursday evening about the four things you must have in a local church in order to call yourself a church. And if you don't have those four things, then you're just a local group of, of people getting together like a civic organization. But in one side of it, it was talking about the worship side of it, and I'll unpack that. I think as a church, we, we've got to realize that we're coming together for a reason. I mean, what we do on a day-to-day basis, we are doing strategically, we're doing it for a reason, and hopefully and prayerfully, it's all built around the Word of God, around Scripture. You see, the Bible teaches that our God is a God of order. Would you agree? He's not a God of chaos. He's certainly not a God of disorder. I mean, just look at our universe. Look at the galaxies that he's put in place. Look at the stars and the earth and all the other planets that are, that are in place. Look at the sun. And, and scientists have told us that if our earth was uh, tilted a few more degrees in, in either direction, we could literally burn up. And it's amazing how God has everything strategically placed so that we could exist in this place that he calls earth. Now, that's just his creation. But what is his most beloved creation? Mankind. Amen? I mean, he sent his son to die for us. And what is the tool that God is using in the New Testament that the Old Testament prophets had no idea what it was? Matter of fact, it's the law of first mention. If you look in Matthew 18, you'll see that Jesus told Peter, he said, Upon this rock, I will finish it for me. Build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, even in the New Testament, God had a plan for the church. And all down through history, from the Old Testament all the way through the New, we see where God has a plan. We're studying right now in our D6 classes the book of Genesis. The redemption, the fall of man, the redemption, the, the corruption, and, and the judgment, and, and of course today was uh, the hope. And, but whenever we look at Noah, we think that, hey, you know, God had a plan. I mean, you look how strategic he was in what he was doing with Noah. You look at the ark that he told him to build. He didn't say go out there and build a boat of any size. He gave him exact dimensions on how to build this boat that we call an ark. He gave him exact plans on who would come into the ark. He gave him exact order of when the door was going to be shut and how long it'd be there and so forth and so on. I mean, all through that, God gave Noah a plan for how things are going to happen. I don't know about you, but I find great comfort in knowing that there are some words that are not in the vocabulary of our God. Words like oops, or uh-oh, or I never saw that coming. Guys, you realize God never says that. Hello? He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He has a plan. And the best thing that we could do as a believer, as a Christ follower, as a child of God, and even as a church is say, okay, God, what is your plan? And then line up with his plan. In our men's Bible study breakfast yesterday morning, we were sitting around the table, about 10 of us at the St. Louis Bread Company, and we were unpacking some scripture. And, and I shared with them about how a lot of times we say, you know, God, I'll, I'll do anything for you. Here I am, use me. And we have this specific direction that we have in mind where we want God to use us. And how I tried to get those guys to really broaden all of our senses and realize we may have this direction, but God may want us to go this direction. And how the best thing to do is not say, God, here am I, use me, and bless what I'm doing. 
The best thing to do is say, God, here am I, use me. Now use me in what you're doing. Amen? He has a plan. He shared it with Noah. He shared it with Abraham. When he said, Abraham, it's time to leave the earth of the Chaldees and follow me into a land you do not know. And of course, Abraham, by faith, took off and followed God. We see that he shared with Moses a wonderful plan. Now you read the scriptures, you'll find where Moses got ahead of God. I can relate with that sometimes. Amen. And Moses got ahead of God and said, okay, God's told me I'm going to deliver this people. Problem was, it wasn't on God's timetable yet. And that's when Noah murdered the Egyptian. You remember that? And then, of course, he went and hid in despair for 40 years on the backside of the desert. But all through that, God had a plan. And he shared with Moses how he was going to go down to Egypt and he was going to deliver his people through this wonderful plan. And then, of course, Moses dies. But God still has a plan. Hello? And this is not my sermon. I didn't even have any plan on preaching this, but God has a plan. Amen? <laughs> I think about Joshua. I love the book of Joshua. I love how it starts off. God looks at Joshua. Joshua's mourning over the death of his mentor. Uh, Moses, that he had been with all those years, that he faithfully served hand in hand and shoulder to shoulder next to Moses. I mean, Joshua was a warrior. And Joshua now is grieving over the death of this great man of God, Moses. And God all of a sudden knocks on Joshua's heart and he says, Joshua, he said, my servant Moses is dead. In other words, he's saying, Moses, or Joshua, it's time to stop the mourning. Joshua, it's time to get over it. I've still got a plan. And by the way, you're the man. And by the way, get ready. In three days, you're crossing the Jordan. Now, you know what he'd have done? You know what Joshua would have done if he'd have been a good Baptist? You know what he'd have done? He'd have put together a committee. Hello? So now how are we going to get across this Jordan? And matter of fact, they would have, they would have started probably the building process of, of building a bridge. Or, or at least some type of ferry to get across. That wasn't God's plan, was it? He said, Joshua, in three days you're crossing the Jordan River. And God had a plan is what I want you to see there. You think, I love the story of Gideon. How God had a plan for Gideon, but in Gideon's mind, is his, the plan was going to be this large with this many people in his army. And, get, and God said, no, Gideon, your army's way too big. It's way too large. And God put together a plan for Gideon to go and fight the battle. I think about Saul of Tarsus, how God had a plan for him. The, one of the greatest persecutors of the early church. And his full agenda every single day was to get up and stop this movement called Christianity and on his road to Damascus while he was walking in his ways God had another way for him to go God had a plan struck him down blind there on the road to Damascus finally he got Saul's attention and Saul became the great Apostle Paul that God used him why because God had a finish it for me plan do you get the gist of what's taking place here has God stopped making plans for us no. Jeremiah 29, 11, when God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah to his people Israel, he is encouraging them and he's saying, don't lose hope. I still have a purpose and a plan for you. And guys, just as true as that was back in the Old Testament days, it's still true for us today. Our God is still on the throne. Nothing's taken him by surprise whatsoever. He still has a plan, and he still has a plan for Victory Church. Amen? I remember back in 1998, 
that whole year, I was really struggling in my own spiritual walk. Not struggling whether I wanted to get out of ministry or not. Not struggling whether I love God or not. Not struggling whether I wanted to pray or read my Bible or not. But struggling in what God was calling me to do as a pastor. You see, I was pastoring full-time in the ministry at a church that had been there for well over a 100 years. Matter of fact, during my tenure there as their pastor, we celebrated the 100-year anniversary at that church. That church was established, organized, 1898. And in 1998, I led us through a big movement and a big celebration in our part of the community. And we celebrated the one year or the 100th anniversary of that church and the impact that they had had. Man, it was a great time. But during that transition, I realized God was doing something in my heart. And he was stirring in my spirit and he had another plan for me. Now, I was struggling to try to discern what is that plan. I really thought down in my heart it was Mexico. Matter of fact, I thought it was McAllen, Texas. My wife and family and mother-in-law made several trips to McAllen, Texas. Would stay there in that area and would travel across into Mexico and into Reynosa and the other parts of that community where all the, a lot of the Hispanics and the Mexicans were moving to the, to the border for jobs and and that time, you know, well even today, a lot of the American industry had went just across the border into Mexico. And they were migrated to that area. Matter of fact, we started a seminary there. Our denomination did. And many times they would call me and ask me to come teach evangelism and teach the Bible in that seminary. And I would go down into Reynosa and I'd go to the seminary and I would teach these Mexican students how to win somebody to Jesus and how to share the gospel. I taught them the Romans road and I I taught them all different ways on how to share the gospel. It was a wonderful time. And I really thought God was leading me to Mexico. Matter of fact, I thought I would be moving there to start and build a bilingual church on the American side in McAllen, Texas with a ministry in Mexico as well and do ministry there and start a church. That's where I really thought I was going. But you see, God has a sense of humor and God says, no, I've got somewhere in the Midwest for you to go. Total opposite direction of where I thought I was going to go. And I got a call from the Illinois Mission Board and they said, we would love for you to prayerfully consider moving here and starting a church. Well, uh, through much prayer, and I won't belabor that whole story, we moved here in March of 1998, or 99, I should say, March of 1999, and started this work. I guess and the point I'm trying to get you to see is that God has a plan. And what I want us to know is that He hasn't forgotten us. Hello? Sometimes, I'll be honest with you, over the past 11 years or so that we've been doing ministry here and through some of the, some of the different difficult circumstances that we've gone through, many times I've looked up and I've said, God, have, have you forgotten us? God, why are we having to face this? God, why is this happening? God, why are you slamming this door? You see, the book of Proverbs tells us this, that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Amen? But I also believe the opposite is true. Not only the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, but I also believe the stops of a man are ordered by the Lord. You see, there was some direction that we were trying to go in the name of building the church and trying to win folks to Jesus. We had outgrown our our current facility and building where we were there in Mascuda. We had to do something. And God kept closing the door and closing the door and closing the door until this door opened. You see, God has a plan. 
And he still has a plan for us today in ministry. So real quickly, let me try to jump into this document that I've shared with you. This is my five-year ministry plan on the ministry side of it. Matter of fact, <laughs> I've put together a team that's going to handle the building side of it. And Daryl and Eldon and Troy on that team and Tracy and Rebecca and Connie and I didn't leave out anybody. That, that's, that's the building team. Those guys are working. Matter of fact, they're meeting tomorrow. And those guys are working on the building side of it. I want to focus my energy and my time on the ministry side of it. Now, that doesn't mean I don't know what's going on with the building. I, I can't do that. i got to go over there and stick my nose in and kind of smell around a little bit, see what's happening. But here's the ministry side of it. I want you to know also as a church that this has already been shared with our leadership team. Matter of fact, we've been talking around these circles for months. When I first introduced it to them was back in August at one of our leadership team meetings. Now, they didn't get it in a full packet. We just presented the thought and the concept and asked everybody to pray about it and think about it. And what do you think that looks like? And then we just started from there. So the leadership team, after much time and effort, you're going to see some of exactly, matter of fact, everything that you have, they've already received in different documents at different times. But I put it all together for us here today. I want, you, I want you to see that. I want to talk and introduce the subject of intergenerational ministry. As I've been praying and really studying our church over the past year or so, as we have moved further and further and further into the D6 paradigm, and as I've driven myself to the Word of God to research Scripture that would back up this direction that I felt God was leading us as a church. What you have before you is the result of that. And it's centered around the word intergenerational ministry. Now how many has ever heard of that concept? It's kind of, some have, some haven't. It's kind of a big word, but it's very simple. It just means generations working together. There's something very refreshing about that whole concept the thing that I find refreshing about it is that it's very biblical. And so let's start unpacking a little bit of this thing that we've condensed and we call it iGen for intergenerational ministry. So whenever you hear the word iGen, you know we're talking about intergenerational ministry. And by the way, for those of you that know me, you know that there's Macs on the back table and there's an iPhone in my pocket and, and it kind of all, it kind of just circled around that that concept as well. So there's a lot of different things I want to share with you. So here we have iGen ministry. I want you to look, if you will, on page number one of our document. People today are typically broken down into categories based on the year they were born and they were assigned labels. Now, you do a lot of research, you may find a few different uh, discrepancies, if you will, on the exact year that they break down, but here's your pretty good idea of the different generations and how we label these generations. From 1871 to 1889 are the New Worlders. The Hard Timers are 1890 to 1908. 1909 to 1923 are the Good Warriors. 1900 to 1924 is the GI generation. 25 to 45 is the Silent Generation. 46 to 64 are the Baby Boomers. 65 to 79 
is the Gen X generation. 80, 1980 to the year 2000 are the millennials, sometimes referred to as Generation Y. And then from 2000 or 2001 to the present is what's being referred to as Gen, Generation Z or even the new silent generation. I guess my point is, in the next paragraph, I want you to see that demographers and marketing specialists, they have created these additional subcategories with all of these groups which can make tracking their interests and their habits and the values of the particular subgroups a science in and of itself. And with such fragmenting of the population, they can be very useful. But I want you to underline this next phrase. It can also be very divisive and unhelpful. Now, I want you to understand, whenever I talk about iGen ministry, and whenever we move a little bit further into this and we see how seg segregated we are as far as age-graded segregation, I want you to know that I am not saying that we need to be involved in an either-or philosophy. I am saying that we need to be involved in a both-and philosophy. We need to be, and here's a key word, that needs to be ingrained in all of our hearts and our minds, we need to be very intentional in what we're doing. In the IGN movement, as well as the segregated age group movements. The next paragraph, within the church, we're always concerned about ministering faithfully and skillfully to all the age groups. And to do so, we often separate members into groups based on age. Older adults, middle adults, young adults, teens, children, etc. We're, I mean, it's very familiar with that alignment in the church and probably everything else out there in the world. The age-graded segment of, of, of a movement. While this approach is sometimes helpful, I've put in bold letters, I want to make a plea for us to emphasize and provide for ministry that is intergenerational. And I believe we need to focus on intergenerational ministry. And this ministry focuses on helping Christians, get this, of all ages, reach out with Jesus' life-changing love, get this, to disciple old and young adults, teens and children. And it's my belief and conviction that these ministries are most productive when they are truly intergenerational. And by intergenerational, I mean where two or more different age groups are growing and living in faith together. Okay? That's key. That's why it's in bold. That's why it's italicized, that intergenerational part. You need to highlight that part. Really get a hold of that. That we learn to, to serve and live together and fellowship together and grow together in a faith community intergenerationally. Hello? Now, the question is, is that biblical? Well, I tried to answer some of that for you, and I'm not going to really unpack all of this, but we see a biblical foundation. The idea of intergenerational ministry is thoroughly biblical. And I'm on page number two of your document. And here's some scripture that backs that philosophy up. In Deuteronomy 6, it says, Keep these words that I'm commanding you today in your heart and recite them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the way, and when you lie down, when you rise up. Well, Psalm 145, 4, One generation will commend your works to another. How is the word of God, how is faith being passed down? According to Psalm 145. Tell me. From one generation to another. Okay? Look, if you will, Paul's writings in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. 
It says, but speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom, I want you to underline this next word, two words, from whom the whole body, get a hold of that, get a hold of that, from whom the whole body joined and knit together promotes the body's growth and building itself in love. Look at the note I put right under that. Note that the whole body in the context of Paul's letter includes children. Okay? Includes children. And then, of course, in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, Paul's writing to young Timothy in the faith, and he says, Let no one despise your youth, but set the example, or set the believers an example. So we see a biblical, and there's many more scripture I could give you, but that, that's enough to justify the point that intergenerational is very, very biblical. Now, I want you to look at our cultural imperative. Intergenerational ministry is also a cultural imperative in our contemporary war, world. Get this, where age groups are separated, segregated, and thrust, thus fragmented in so many settings, such as schools and recreation and etc. Now, sadly, here's what I want you to get, and I highlighted this. Because this really has been the driving force of my vision and my mission and the whole ministry aspect of why we're tweaking some areas. This really penetrates to the depths of my soul. This troubles me. Sadly, one such setting is the church where we age grade everything, we segregate everything, everyone's only working in their little sphere. If they're eight years old, they're with the eight-year-olds. When they're 15, they're only with the 15-year-olds. When they're in the 20s, it's the 20-year-olds. And then the 30-year-olds. And the 40-year-olds. And the 50-year-olds. I mean, and so forth and so on. Does that sound familiar? That's what we're doing. Now remember, I'm not saying there never needs to be a time when we don't age grade. There are moments when that is the best way to teach and instruct and deal with a particular issue or subject. Remember, it's not an either-or philosophy. It's a both-and philosophy. And it's being very intentional in both areas of ministry. You get that? Let that resonate in your spirit and your mind and your heart as we unpack this whole thing. But here we are in the church Recent polls have shown, guys, you'll find this true in every single denomination, in every single church that calls themselves Bible-believing Christians, the evangelical church world, those that believe you must be born again, those that believe you must have a relationship with Christ, those that believe on the authority of the Word of God, I'm telling you, it's true across every movement in America. You're going to find this statistic to be true. It's saddening. 80% of all children raised in the Christian church will leave the church when they graduate high school. Let that settle. Eight out of ten of the little ones that run around in our church, when they graduate high school, they will leave the church. That in and of itself should drive us to do whatever we've got to do to make a difference to that statistic. Hello? 
Part of the answer is that children and teens in our culture crave involvement. And when young Christians are involved in a ministry at a young age, they're much more likely to develop an understanding of their gifts, be committed to using those gifts within the church. And this not only blesses the church, but it limits the aimlessness of teens and college students who grow up without the sense of purpose or belonging or meaning. Turn to page, page three. Intergenerational ministry events. Now, I'm going to skip that section right there. I think you're getting the idea of what I'm talking about. What are some of the benefits and bonuses and blessings whenever we think about intergenerational ministry? Whenever we think about bringing generations together within the church, what blessings and benefits and bonuses are provided? Here's a few. There's many more, of course, but here's a few. First of all, they reclaim God's intent for faith to be shared in community and across generations. They affirm each person's value in the total community. They foster a foundation of support. They break down stereotypes and barriers. They provide up-close and personal discipleship training. They foster leadership. They take a proactive countercultural stance in the face of the countless ways society separates and pigeonholes people in specific, specific groups. Okay, There's more that can be said about that. On page number four, there's some planning tips. Uh, we're going to skip that. You can read that later. Over on page number five, I want you to flip there real quick. Here we're talking about the intentional family church, the intergenerational ministry. And what I have under the title heading there, underlined, is a very true statement that I really want us to get a hold of. The church exists not only to equip the family. That's just one side of it. We exist not only to equip mom and dads and little Johnny and little Susie and the kids and grand not only are we here to equip the family but there's another aspect to the church we're here to serve and operate as a family okay we're not only here we're not just a bunch of cross followers that come from all parts of the region and area and they come into Victory Church and and we just come in to equip our little family to go back home or some other little family to go back home we also are here to operate as a family now there's I, I don't know about you but there's a dynamic that I feel has been lost in a lot of modern churches and it's that family atmosphere hello I mean, it seems like a lot of times people lose that. And I don't think that's simply because of size of churches. I really don't think size has anything to do with it. I think, I think it has to do with that ministry being intentional and recognizing that not only are we here to equip the family, but we're also here to serve as a family. Now, I think Victory Church does a pretty good job of that. Of course, I'm a little bit biased. And that's why I enjoy a fresh face to come in and kind of share with me like like Pat and Linda Albers came in and and they kind of sat in our church for a little while and then something happened and then boom they just saw the church in motion uh, Patty Mullen just shared last week you know they've been here for a while but boom she's seen the church start acting as a family not just recent start but but have seen it act as a family several others have come up and shared testimonies like that with me uh, that's encouraging because that's what we're to do and I you know, I, I don't want to go through and unpack all these scriptures, but we asked our question, the bottom of page 5, is it biblical? Is intergenerational ministry biblical? At the top of page 5, you see I mentioned several different types of families that are within Victory Church. We shared this with the leadership team, and they looked over some of these, and we, you know, there are many other types I guess you could put in there, but that kind of got us thinking 
about the different families that we are ministering to. Is it biblical? Well, at the bottom of page 5, faith and family in the Bible, in both the Old and New Testament, get this, the responsibility, this is important, in both the Old and the New Testament, the responsibility for spiritual formation of the young rests on the older members of the worshiping community. Now understand that. Get that. The spiritual formation, the responsibility in both the Old Testament and the New rest on the older members of the worshiping community. And you'll see that unpacked in Deuteronomy chapter 11 at the top of page number 6. It says, remember, the Lord said, remember that today your children were not the ones who saw and experienced me, the Lord speaking. Your children didn't see me. Your, your children didn't experience me. They didn't see my hand at work. Your children didn't see what I did to you in the desert. Come on down through there. Your children didn't see when I opened up the great canyon, if you will, in the desert and consumed all those individuals. So what the scripture is saying, in, in verse number 7, it says, but it was your own eyes that saw all these great things. So the, the premise of what's being said, the Lord is saying, listen, your children never saw this. Your children never experienced this. It's up to you who did experience this, who did hear this, who did see this to tell your children. And there were no scriptures and so forth. Come on down to the next paragraph. I'm trying to get through some of this. Faith and family in the Old Testament. You see in the, in the Passover in Exodus chapter number 12, and God establishes this long uh, ordinance, if you will, this lasting ordinance for the descendants. And I want you to see that look, bottom paragraph. The ritual of the Passover isn't an empty religious activity. It's a means of educating the nation's children. Matter of fact, as you read that passage of Scripture, you'll say, see where God said, do this and do that and do this and do that. And by the way, when your children ask, tell them. And we see that repeated once again with the crossing of the Jordan River over on page number 7 in Joshua chapter 4. He said, each of you are to take up a stone. And then in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean, tell them. So all through the scripture, you see that whenever God would say, do this and do that, it was their role then to tell their children what was taking place and what God was doing. At the bottom of page 7, and there's plenty more. Actually, look right in the middle. The form of wor- in both forms of worship, they are meant to prompt questions. Okay? Bottom of the page, page 7. You can read all this in depth later. The family dwelling itself was the classroom. Go over to page number 8. Here's faith and family in the New Testament. Notice there are still no professionals declaring to train the young believers in the New Testament at the top of page number 8. Instead, it's the worshiping community continues to be responsible for the spiritual formation of the children. Jesus expands. Now get this. Jesus expands the definition of the family from one's own immediate biological relatives. He's expanding now the definition of the family to include all of those who are knit together by faith in him. Look what he says if you're in Matthew chapter 12. They, someone tells him, say, hey, look, behold your mother, behold your brother. Look what Jesus replied in verse 48. He said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mothers and my my brothers, for whoever does the will of the Father in heaven is my brother and my sister. 
So Jesus now is extending the biological family to the church family, those individuals that have accepted him as their savior. That now is part of, of the family. The Apostle Paul continues this emphasis in his epistles in 1 Timothy and Titus chapter 4. Timothy, my true son in the faith. Titus, my true son in the faith. Turn the page to page number 9. And then when Paul gives Timothy instructions regarding the relationship between the church members, he exhorts them to think of the congregants in family terms. In 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your what? Say it for me. Father, treat younger men as what? Brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters. What do you see there? You see what? Family terms. You see, the body of Christ, the church, not only are we here to equip the family, but we're also here to serve as a family. Right? We're to look up to our older men as fathers. And I'll be honest with you, I look up to Eldon as my spiritual father. I do that all the time. I feel it's my role whenever he goes out for me to serve him, minister to him, take care of him, whatever. And he mentors me with wisdom. Just like a son should when he goes out with his father. Whenever I'm in my mom and dad's presence, I try to serve them. What can I do to help you to make life easier? And I open the door, I take care of whatever. And Lord knows I do it every day with my mother-in-law now that she's living in our house. I'm just kidding, but I really do. I look up to her as my mom and I serve her and take care of her like she was my mom and I'm here to make life easier for you. We're to do that same thing in the family. We're to treat each other like family. And that's the biblical definition that we get there. In the New Testament, the kingdom relationships are depicted as, be as the believer's primary family. And Jesus and Paul, the responsibility for religious education still falls on the family. But the definition of the family has been expanded. So look, look, if you will, in Titus chapter 2. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, to teach what is good. Then they can do what? Train what? The younger women. The older women are to be training the younger women. When these relationships, at the top of page 10... When these relationships operate appropriately, the young learn to live the gospel by the examples of the Christian family and the Christian community embodies the faith in such a way that outsiders take notice and God is glorified to a generation devastated by the fracturing of the biological family. Church, get this. The New Testament's concept of congregation as family breathes a breath, or a breath of fresh air and hope. Families are being devastated in the world today. And how refreshing it is to be able to come into a community of believers and experience a genuine family atmosphere, no matter the size of a church. Hello? Just the other week, I was at the St. Louis Bread Company. And I was sitting around a table with some guys and I was unpacking this whole paradigm of intergenerational ministry. And as I was trying to share this example of intergenerational ministry with a couple of guys around the table, I happened to look up. And across the lobby at the St. Louis Bread Company, there were two groups of people that had just come in and taken their seats right in front of me. Now just off to my right, there was a table and they'd pulled together two or three tables 
and there were eight or ten young mothers that had come together. Some of them had their little infants. Most of them had let, looked like they'd left the children somewhere. Some may at school, some may at preschool, some at a daycare. But these young mothers, eight or ten of them, probably in their mid-twenties to mid-thirties, were sitting around this table. And I eavesdropped a little bit into their conversation. And I heard them talking about little Johnny, little Susie. They were talking about their kids. This is what mine just did. Have you ever done that? And they're kind of just sharing life together, what's going on in their own little parenting world. Back and forth, age graded, their own little group right there. Immediately, I looked to my left. Over to my left had assembled another group of people. There were eight individuals in this circle. They pulled a couple of tables together and they were sitting there. Now, around this group of table, there were four couples that all were at least in their 70s, if not older. And they were sitting around their table talking about love. And I looked up to the individual I was talking to at our table, and I said, let me give you an example of my whole philosophy and what's taking place in the church and even in our world today. Turn around and look. At this table were young mothers trying to figure out how to raise little Johnny, how to get him through this stage and get him through that stage. But the only wisdom they could draw from was another parent that had a little Johnny doing the same thing in their home. Right? Yeah, they could get some encouragement by, hey, mine does that too. Okay, yours does that? Yeah, mine does. Okay. How do we deal with that? Neither one of them really had the answer. And then I told the guy I was sitting with, the guys I was sitting with, now look at this table over here. Wouldn't it be awesome if somehow you could get this group of senior citizens to migrate together with this group of 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds that are trying to figure out how to raise children and bring them together and let those older women instruct those younger women on some child-rearing principles and some some application on how to raise kids. They probably had grandkids or great-grandkids as old as these, these kids, these parents' kids. Do you think this older generation had some life lessons that they could share with this younger generation? Sure they did. Matter of fact, whenever I showed that example, a big old tear swelled up in my eye. One of the guys I was talking to, he swelled up and I thought he was going to break and cry. He said, why have we gotten away from this? I said, I don't know, but we have. Our culture, our society... We've pigeonholed everybody. No generations any longer are working together. And sadly and unfortunately, that mindset has migrated and found its way into the church. Hello? Bottom of page number 10. Unfortunately, there has been little, if any, opportunity for children, teenagers, young adults, to learn their place in the body of Christ by interacting with older Christians. And guys, that's not only true of Victory Church, that's true of a lot of churches. Could it be, Victory, let me ask you a question. Could it be that the reason that 80% of our young adults, our teenagers, when they graduate high school leave the church could it be because they have been reared in a church 
where they've built no relationships with people of other generations, where they feel like nobody knows them, where nobody understands them, nobody knows what's going on in their life, and they're leaving. And why are they leaving? They're leaving to search for the answers. Victory, the answer, answers are sitting all around us. I think about Mr. Rhodes sitting back there. And I think about some of our other seniors that are sitting around here. How I enjoy sitting with older saints and listening to their stories. I remember back in Bryson City, I used to go sit on a gentleman's front porch. His name was Claude Bridges. And I would go sit on his front porch. Matter of fact, he's passed away and his daughter on Facebook was just reminiscing his dad, her dad's birthday and it was his, his birthday and he just passed away, or had passed away and she was thinking about him that day and I wrote back on Facebook and I said, I used to love to sit on your daddy's front porch. Now me as a preacher and a pastor in that community, I didn't go there to minister. I didn't go there to talk. I didn't go there to tell him anything. I went there to listen. And I would sit on his porch and I would just listen to him tell me story after story after story. And God, sadly, we're losing that opportunity in the church. And you know what? As long as I'm at the helm of this church, I am going to see to it that we don't lose that. Amen? It is important to get our younger generation interacting with the older generations. It's called intergenerational ministry. If you will, I'm going to wrap this thing up at the bottom of page 10. In the scriptures previously shared, spiritual formation takes place in relationships. Get that. Spiritual formation takes place in relationships. It involves around older men instructing younger men in their behavior. And older women leading younger women in holiness. By contrast... At victory, here's an indictment against us. And I'm going to be honest and transparent enough to share it with you. And I'll be the one that's at fault. I'm the leader. I take the blame. By contrast, at victory, nearly every, nearly, not every, nearly every teaching moment takes place in age-specific classroom settings. I shared this with somebody, and they said, no, preacher, it doesn't. We, we do this. I said, yeah, but we're not doing that intentionally. That just happened, and thank God it did. We're not doing that strategically from the administrative side of it as a church. We're not collectively rallying around that call. Sometimes it does happen, and thank God when it does. Amen? But the point is, from the administrative side of it, we are not being intentional to make it happen. That's my fault. And so I want to ask you to forgive me. And I want you to pray for me as I start leading us in a new, somewhat new, more biblical, I think, direction. I agree, and I get this. Remember, it's not an either or, it's a both and. Okay? I agree. There are seasons when it is beneficial for age specific settings, there are times when that is certainly appropriate. And as I share with you and unpack my vision for our ministry for the next five years in the Sunday school hour for the next three weeks, 
you will see that there's a both and taking place, not an either or. But we're being a little bit more specific in the direction we're going. But I fear we are not providing the type of training in righteousness that the New Testament has called us to provide. By and large, top of page 11, we've created an environment where the generations seldom interact. Children, youth, young adults can move through our church without ever being integrated to the congregational life or have any meaningful relationships with other generations. Therefore, it behooves us to be creative and to find ways to bring the generations together. And get this, as a small church, we have a strategic advantage over a larger church. We, Victory, can do this. Amen? We can do this. And once again, remember the church exists not only to equip the family, but also to serve as the family. Some of those questions of reflection of what I share with the leadership team, and, and uh, you're welcome to look at those and brainstorm a little bit on that. At the bottom of page number 11, ultimately the onus for success of intergenerational ministry rests on the older members of the congregation. They must embrace their potential as mentors. You see, I just turned 46. But in my spirit, in my heart, I still feel like I'm 20. That's why I'll do some stupid stuff and go out there and run around and act like I'm 20. And then pay for it the next morning when I try to get up. I guess what I'm trying to say is, I'm at the point where the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know anything. You know, I'm, I'm the pastor here, but I'll be the last one to tell you that I have all the answers. I don't. And I still need some older men to mentor me. Amen? I still need to be tempered. I still need godly men around me that can help temper me in, the walk, in my walk with the Lord. That's why I love our men's fellowship so much. I mean, just guys getting together. And we're just kind of talking about Scripture. But you know what's happening? There's tempering taking place. Yesterday morning, we had our guys together. There was iron sharpening iron yesterday morning. And the cool thing about it, yesterday morning, we started at 7 o'clock. We were done at 8.30. We officially dismissed at 8.30. At 10 minutes till 10, I finally walk out of the St. Louis Bread Company because guys hung out there and kept talking and kept talking and had more questions. And then, of course, we interact. We played around a little bit, and we were laughing and joking, but there was tempering taking place. Guys, we need that. And you know what? Around that table, we need some older men sitting there. Amen? We need some older ones around that table. We need some young men around that table. And any young men that are here and think you don't need that, oh, you are fooling yourself. And we need our women doing the same thing. We need to be intentional with this whole thing of intergenerational ministry. Bottom of page 11. I'm going to stop with this. At first, I know that it may be a little awkward for our teens and our young adults to get involved in intergenerational ministry. And the reason it's going to be awkward for them is because they've never seen it for the most part. They've not experienced it for the most part. I understand it's going to be a little bit awkward for our teenagers and our young adults. But in time, I can see this being very beneficial or this being a very beneficial aspect of their spiritual formation. Okay? Now I'm going to stop right there, guys. And I know I've probably been too long already. But there's a lot to unpack here. 
I want to encourage you to take this, read it, pray over it, unpack more of what I just shared with you. I intentionally gave you a lot of material today in this handout because I think it's imperative that we're all on the same page. Matter of fact, you'll see over on page number, um, page number 12 some of the objectives. And one of the objectives is that, or one of the goals, I should say, at the bottom in the middle there is to leave with unity in our church family, is that we are all working on this thing together in one mind, in one accord. So there's going to be some changes, Victory. There's going to be some changes. You know, if, get this, if we don't do anything, when we logistically move out of this building into a new church building, change is going to happen. Now, I don't want to wait till we get over there and scratch our heads and figure out what are we going to do. And so there has been months and months and months of prayer and planning and discussion that's gone into this ministry plan. And I want you to take this, and I want you to start reading through it. Now, when you read on back further, I'd like for you to spend most of your time reading what I've just shared with you. And really letting that saturate your spirit and your heart and your mind and your soul. Change your paradigm, your way of thinking. Move the cheese a little bit. Things are not the norm. There's got to be something different. We're losing 80% of our teenagers, okay? So start studying over some things I just shared with you. On the last part of the packet, it's more of the how we're going to do it philosophy, okay? I just tried to share with you the philosophy today. Next Sunday and the following, actually the following three Sunday mornings and the 930 hour, I'll be standing here leading you through how we are going to do this, okay? Small gradual turns. They tell me that if you turn off 747 at about 33 degrees, that's pretty comfortable. Turn. And that's how we're going to turn this thing. We're not going to throw in the brakes and head this way. We may dump some people out along the way. We're just going to make some gradual changes and turns until we get back, back on track, okay? All right? All right, then. Let's, uh, what do we have next? We'll dismiss with that. You guys come on up, and they've got a song we're going to dismiss with. Let's all just stand together. Thank you for your attention this morning. Hope you'll be much in prayer uh, for this. And we will, I'm going to have prayer, and then they're going to dismiss us with a song, and then after that we'll be at liberty to go. Any other announcements we need to make before we leave here for the Thanksgiving dinner? If you, we, we need some help with some side dishes for, the, for our Thanksgiving dinner this Wednesday. So Daryl, immediately after the service, go back to this corner right over here. And if you will, go over there and see him and volunteer to, to help cook something, prepare for that. Anything else? Sign-ups for the Christmas wrapping back on the table. Any other announcements? Oh, yes. Um, Brother Daniel is sick today. Uh, so he asked that there'll be no youth tonight. So there'll be no youth group meeting tonight. He is sick in his house, and so he wanted me to pass that announcement along uh, for our youth group. So please remember that and pray for uh, Pastor Daniel, okay? Anything else? All right, let me pray for us. Father, thank you, Lord, for this day, and thank you, God, for each one that is here. And thank you, Lord, for the fresh vision and direction, God, that you're giving our ministry and our church. And thank you, God, that it's so biblical. And God, sometimes we get caught up in what the world is doing that we neglect to go to the principles in your word. And God, I just pray that you would continue, Lord, to lead and guide us and direct us. And thank you, God, for the senior saints that are here. And, and I pray, dear God, you would help them to realize they have tremendous value. And God, they have a tremendous ministry still yet. 
Part of their job is to be training the younger men and the younger women. Help them to take on their role as spiritual mentors. I ask you, God, to bless our families and bless our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, O'Fallon, Illinois, 62269. Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.